The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to a very refreshing hour of business talk. This is Industry Cloud Trends with Game Changers, presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. You'll hear from the innovators who know how to use game-changing technologies and business strategies to shake up the status quo in your company's cloud strategy and help your organization move in exciting new directions. Now, here's your host and moderator, Bonnie D. Graham. Welcome, welcome, welcome. And if you want to run with the Game Changers by now, you know you're in the right place. I can guarantee it. Our topic today, our buzz is ka-ching. No, it's not a cash register. It's the place you're supposed to put your money. It's called a bank. Let me get started. While banks and financial institutions have been instrumental in much of the world's growth, I think everybody will agree with that, the industry has struggled in recent years with so many things. They've had security breaches. Ouch. They've had accusations of non-transparency. They've been questioned about their lack of relevance to modern life today. Are they giving us the products and services we need in the channels we need them in? And they've had accusations, oh my goodness, of being a source of economic downfall. That one really stings. Well, with mounting competition for customer loyalty, banks now need to address these shortcomings. But most of all, they need to regain consumer trust and ultimately make the customer the center of their world, their primary priority. It's all about the customer experience. So the big question on the table today is, is technological innovation the key to transforming any bank, and I use that term, any bank to be all-inclusive, into a good bank? Ah, big question. I have a panel of experts who are going to help us figure this out. So whether you're in the banking industry or any part of the related financial industry, or if you're just a consumer, you're going to want to hear this. So stick around. Our first guest is Rob Yakulek. He is the Vice President of Consulting at Reputation Institute. And we'll ask him a little later what they do. And here's a quote from Mark Twain, who would be quite surprised to find himself on a show called Industry Cloud Trends with Game Changers. He'd be saying, what? internet radio what's that here's the quote the reports of my death have been greatly exaggerated one of the most famous twain quotes welcome rob how are you today thank you very much bonnie great to be here how are you I'm fine. Thank you. You have su- you're coming across so clear. I'm sitting back and looking around, seeing if you're in the room with me. Good reception. Rob, tell me, how did you pick a quote from Mark Twain about banking in 2015 and beyond? How is this related? Well, banks, uh, you know, I've, I've had the privilege of, of, of being able to work a lot around the financial service industry for, for the last decade or so. And, you know, banks have just been under attack from, from every possible angle, whether it's commercial, social, regulatory. Um, they've just been bombarded. And I, th- I think, Bonnie, you did a great job of setting up some of the, the, the big things that may be top of mind for, for, for consumers around banks. Um, Thank you. But when you're talking about this idea of trust, um, I would say technology is, is, is a fundamental component um, of banks really being able to own and, and build their own destiny. 
Um, one of the, the key uh, additions to that, I would say, especially from a, from a reputational point of view, is uh, what we've now moved into what we, uh, is um, out of the, this age of risk or decade of risk that we saw in the 2000s and really what we today would call the, the reputation economy. And, and what I mean by that is that what an organization, and especially banks, stand for can actually be more impactful, more relevant, um, and uh, and create the the type of behavior, consumer behavior they're looking for, more so than just the products and services that are delivered. So fundamentally, who the bank is, what its purpose is, can actually have an even bigger impact than the key features and benefits that an individual product can provide. Interesting. It sounds like this is a ramification or a result of the connected economy. Everybody is connected and talking about who's doing good, who's doing right for the world. What are their values? Am I hitting some of those hot spots, Rob? I think you're hitting them spot on. I think if you look at some of the, the key trends that are really um, defining the one of the trends uh, around this, this overall conversation is a, a generational trend. So when you think of uh, millennials and the type of value set that they bring to the table, when you think of their connectivity, they fundamentally shift the expectations of all organizations, but in a particularly poignant fashion when you think of banks and financial service companies, which in many cases are seen as, as much less relevant than, for example, technology companies. Mm-hmm. Thank you very much. Good intro to our topic, Rob, and welcome again. Let's turn to our second guest. He is Matt White, North America Editor at FinExtra. That's F-I-N-E-X-T-R-A. And when we get to the next part of this segment, I'll ask both Rob and Matt to tell us a little bit about their companies. Here's a direct quote from Matt, an original. He says, banks that harness technology simply to boost their bottom lines will get eaten up by the competition. Those are fighting words, Matt White. Talk to me. How are you today? I'm very well, Bonnie. Thanks for having me on. Delighted. Um, Yeah, what I mean by that is that we're in the midst of a technological revolution in terms of how uh, customers get hold of their financial services. So we're seeing a move to mobile phones and online services, and that poses a great opportunity for banks in terms of saving money. They can afford to close branches and networks and potentially lay off people. But what I would argue is that that's a risky strategy. Banks have something that a lot of their rivals don't have, and that is a huge um, swathe of educated, informed employees. And the Mm. way to ensure that they have trust is by using those people to really help their customers. So it's not just about saying, we can help you move your money or access your money. It's about advice. It's not about transactional things. Very interesting. So let me ask you, Matt White, whose job is it to make the employees care, to equip them to be trustworthy, to let them step up to the front lines and say, yeah, our bank has all the great bells and whistles and you can put your money in here and you can send it here and you can click on your phone, blah, blah, blah. But we really care. We care about you. We want you to trust us and we want to have a relationship with you. Whose job is it to say to the employees, you still matter. The human part of the equation is still very central to our success. Matt? Well, I mean, it has to come from the top, of course. Um, mm-hmm. I think that banks have a dog-eat-dog reputation, um, and they're not really thought of as cuddly, friendly people. But, of course, at the end of the day, they are, they're in, they're in the business of customer service. They're in the business of making people happy. And so they need to foster that. They need to make sure that they have um, 
motivated, um, well-informed employees who can who can offer something different because there's an awful lot of small, nimble, technologically savvy companies coming out from Silicon Valley and elsewhere who can offer basic services. But what these companies don't have that banks do have is a network of expertise going decades back. And that's something that banks need to keep an eye on and not just rush to cut everything is a way of saving money and saying we can do everything with technology. They need to use the technology in order to um, just make the delivery of their expertise more efficient. Thank you, Matt. Good insights. Appreciate that. Let's turn to our third panelist. He is not a newcomer to SAP Radio. He's been on with me before. Pleased to welcome back Don Trotta, who is a senior vice president and global head of banking industry development at SAP. And here's a Don Trotta original quote. He says, banks need to return to making their mission and greater purpose to do well while doing good for society. Sounds like a wonderful world if we can make this happen. Don Trotta, how are you today? I'm very well, thanks, and uh, thanks very much for inviting me back on the show today. Delighted. Always happy to talk to you. Tell me about your quote. Yeah, well, it's such an important and timely topic, of course, and it's been that way for the past few years, uh, how banks can better serve the needs of society and play a much more positive role than, uh, that they should be playing in helping to improve people's lives. You know, and myself, having worked in the banking industry my whole life, it's one I'm really passionate about. In fact, about 18 months ago, I participated in a global program, pretty unique program, on what it takes to become a good bank. It was run by the Economist magazine. We all know them, and they have a research arm. And they did a really interesting job with that, looking at exploring how to become a good bank, you have to be a trustworthy bank an effective bank, and an innovative bank. And we explored all three of those. And, and since that time, it's become uh, really a favorite topic for me. And I think the fundamental change uh, is for banks to recognize they have a greater purpose and role in society, and they need to play it, and that they can indeed do well by doing good. So you know, example is a bank needs to include not only their profitability and shareholder value as their key goals, but also uh, equally important to focus on adding value for their customers and to the society in general, and you don't hear too much about that. And, uh, and, 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 and banks, as, as you mentioned at the top, and the financial industry has been an important contributor to help society achieve its goals all throughout history, but that's not something we often hear about again these days. So the question is, how can we get that role reestablished for banks as we move forward and out of this wake of the financial crisis? And I think what, you know, what came out of that uh, uh, exploration that I participated in is that banks need to first and foremost regain their customers' trust because right now mm-hmm. they're the least trusted of any, any industry sector, even below the media. Boy, that's really saying something. So I think they have a, a, a big job ahead. And, Don, even below a used car salesman, I had to throw that in. I'm, I'm seeing plaid jackets in my mind right now, yes? Yeah, well, they, they might be right there, you know. I think so. I have a question for you, Don, before I circle back to Rob and ask him what he's drinking today because that's this is our What's in Your Cup segment. Uh, Don, forgive me for asking this question, but who 
cares? Who is it? I know people do, but who, what segment of our, our demographics who are banking customers anywhere in the world, who is saying, I want my bank to be a good bank. I want them to care about the environment. I want them to care about struggling economies. I want them to have good social values. I want them to do things for the economy that are not bottom line related. Who is asking for this? Is it the millennials? Is it the boomers? Is it the, we just had a show talked about the C generation, the connected generation, which is, comes across, I think includes many cohorts. Don, who is asking for this? Where is the demand from? Yeah, I I think it's coming from a, a whole cross section of both population, government agencies, the, the regulators for sure, right? Uh, on certain aspects of compliance and making sure that you are an effective bank. It's nice to be trusted, but if you don't know what you're doing, <laughs> that's not good either. And and I think uh, the society in general, with the, the entire move toward what I would call. Uh, and I think others have quoted uh, the collaborative society is really changing the game in terms of uh, what uh, how, what w- do people trust institutions or do they trust uh, their peers and their friends and um, and people that that uh, are not part of uh, an institution like a bank. So I think it cuts across geography. Uh, if you think about uh, people mm-hmm. in the unbanked world and the, yes. and the people coming up. Uh, and trying to become part of uh, the, uh, the financial system, the, the governments uh, and the regulators, and I think society in general. So I think it's, it's a broad, broad uh, set of people who care a lot about this. Thank you very much. I just wanted to ask. I hope you weren't uh, weren't upset that I asked, but I thought it would be interesting to put that on the table and make that part of our discussion. Oh, per- per- perfect. Okay, good. We're in agreement. Rob Yakilek, I'm still looking at the phonetic way to pronounce your name. I have to tell everybody your last name is spelled J-E-K-I-E-L-E-K. So it's a little bit of a tongue twister for me, but we are here. Rob, I have a very important question for you. What are you drinking right now? What's in your cup today? Or what are you planning to drink after the show? Talk to me. So uh, at, at this time of day, I'm, I'm usually into uh, uh, a second coffee. So that, that's what I'm drinking right now. Um, and I also happen to have uh, two kids uh, under three, so there, there's, a, there's a couple of extra shots of espresso this morning because it's, uh, it's, it's it was a little bit of a long night. Wow, I bet it was. Tell me, so it's espresso. Do you put anything in it? Come on, we want the recipe. You help us out here. What what flavor? Does it have a particular brand? What what? How strong is it? So it's a, there's two shots of espresso in there. So it's a, it's doubly Ooh. strong today. Um, and my, my my default shop here in, in New York City, it's just uh, just down uh, downstairs in our building is uh, is, is Pret. Uh, it's quick, it's good, it's always really strong. Love it. I think that's great. Thank you very much. And before I turn to Matt White and ask him, Rob, tell me just a couple of sentences. What is the Reputation Institute, please? Sure. So it was actually started as an academic think tank at NYU Stern and uh, Erasmus in the, in the Netherlands, uh, and that's going back about 18 years now. So over the years, it's uh, evolved into uh, a global management consultancy, um, and you know we have we have offices uh, in, on every major continent um, and doing work across every major market you could think of uh, with with virtually um, every type of cross stakeholder problem uh, large multinational companies are, are facing. Thank you very much. Appreciate that. Let's turn to Matt White. Matt, first tell me, what is Fin Extra? What do you do there? And what are you drinking today? 
Um, well, Finextra is a is a new service, and we cover all things financial technology. So um, the sort of stuff that we're talking about today, really. And um, we're based in London, but um, I am I'm out here on this side of the Atlantic with you guys. Thank you very much. What are you drinking? Tell me a good story. Um, well, having recently moved here from London, I was kind of feeling a little bit homesick. So I was excited the other day when I found in the shop some uh, Twining's English breakfast tea, which um, is a very English thing to drink and uh, makes me think of home, sort of rainy afternoons and sort of, uh, yeah, I was feeling a little Thank bit homesick. You. So that's doing, doing it for me. Well, we had rain for the past two days, so I'm sure you were feeling right at home. But I think you just <laughs> solved a huge question for me. I've always grappled with, is it Twinings or Twinnings? And I've seen it, spells, seen it spelled both ways. Now, I looked it up, and it looks like it only has one N, T-W-I-N-I-N-G-S. So I guess it is Twinings, and I've never known how yeah, to pronounce it. Is, yeah. it. By, the, by the way, Matt, we had a, a guest from the U.K. on, oh, a couple months ago, and he said the way Americans drink tea in a tea bag, he called that dusty tea. He said, that's not real tea. <laughs> That's just dust captured in a little funny-looking envelope, and that's not the way real Brits drink their tea. Those yeah, are fighting words. Do you agree with that? <laughs> we, we, had, we take we, it very seriously. You do. We had a guest a couple of years ago who was instructing me on the air in the exact, I don't mean iffy, I mean the exact temperature the water has to be boiled to <laughs> and the exact thickness of the china, of the cup in which the water has to be poured and exactly oh, wow. how you insert it. Oh, we, we've had some very interesting lessons. So I'm glad you're a little less homesick, Matt White, and welcome to this side <laughs> of the pond. Don, Don Trotta, I can't ask you to top those stories, but it's up to you if you want to try. What are you drinking today, Don? Well, unfortunately, it's only uh, Starbucks this morning. But uh, I'm still, I have to admit, I'm still dreaming of my trip last week. I was in Dublin. Ireland uh, uh, for the week, and I had a chance to visit the Guinness Storehouse. I don't know if any of you have been there, but it's a great tourist attraction located uh, right there in the historic brewery, uh, Guinness Brewery in Dublin. And, you know, so Guinness Stout is the, uh, is the uh, pride of uh, Dublin and Ireland, and they have a great tour. Uh, you can go to a bar on top of the uh, the building. It's a 360-degree view of the city, a retail store, and, of course, the freshest Guinness pint available anywhere. Oh. So I'm still dreaming of that. I'm not really a big beer drinker, you know, because I'm watching my waistline all the time. But now I'm really uh, tempted uh, maybe to uh, take it up uh, on this side of the uh, ocean as well. So Guinness Stout. Well, Don, I looked it up, and Guinness Storehouse is actually on Wikipedia, if you can believe that. And it says, Guinness Storehouse is a Guinness-themed tourist attraction in St. James Gate Brewery in Dublin, Ireland. Since opening in 2000, it has received over 4 million visitors, including Don Trotta. It says that right on Wikipedia, <laughs> Don, I swear. Well, I guess, Sorry, I, did, I, I, guess I, made quite, I made quite an impression. Uh, you certainly you did, and they're waiting for you to come back and drink more. They really are. I think it's time for us to take a break. Our topic today, in case you haven't gotten the message, is The Good Bank, reestablishing trust through innovation. We have a great panel today, all good talkers, thinkers, and lots of insights. We have Rob Yekulek from Reputation Institute, a very interesting place. We have Matt White, who's a North America editor at Fin Extra, that's F-I-N-E-X-T-R-A, and Don Trotta, always happy to have Don here, Senior VP and Global Head of Banking Industry Development at 
SAP. And guess what? I'm still Bonnie D. Graham, and I plan to be after the break. You're listening to Industry Cloud Trends with Game Changers Radio right here on the Business Channel on World Talk Radio, a.k.a. Voice America. We're going to take a quick break for about 90 seconds, during which time Rob and I are going to go into a huddle and decide where we're going to start the roundtable discussion. So don't even think of touching that mouse, that app, that dial. We'll be right back. Brad out. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. SAP, co-innovating alongside customers, is taking its industry-specific solutions into the cloud. Join us to learn how to make the world run simpler in the cloud without missing a beat. It's a tall order. Industry Cloud Trends with Game Changers brings together the people who are making it happen. We'll delve into very specific industry challenges and also solutions that run across disparate industries, all to help you succeed in your mission. Join our experts as they analyze and discuss how business leaders can shape the future of change. Industry Cloud Trends with Game Changers is presented by SAP. Visit www.sap.com. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You're listening to Industry Cloud Trends with Game Changers, presented by SAP. Email your comments and questions to bonnie.d.gram at sap.com. And you're invited to tweet during and after the live show using Twitter, hashtag SAPRADIO. Now, let's get back to Industry Cloud Trends with Game Changers. Welcome back. Our topic today is an important one that impacts you, whether you're in the financial services industry or just a consumer. And we're all just a consumer of some kind of banking services. Topic is the good bank, reestablishing trust through innovation. A lot of thoughts on the table here. We're going to kick off our 30-minute roundtable with Rob Yakulek from Reputation Institute. And, Rob, I'd like to start off with this statement you sent me in your notes before the show. You say, being the good bank is not a trivial nice-to-have with quotes around it. It's a critical must-have for business success. And let me add one more note here. You say, looking at the results from our annual study on bank reputation, a partnership for six years with the American Banker, bank reputations are closely tied to customer advocacy, word of mouth, and prospect consideration. Let's explore this. Go ahead, Rob. Um, sure, absolutely. Thank you for, the, for that setup, Bonnie. Uh, mm-hmm. One of the things that we've seen in, in our work in, in collaboration with the American Banker over the last six years is uh, the, the extremely strong commercial relationship between um, the good bank, how people feel about a bank, um, and not just its products and services, but uh, above and beyond its, uh, its impact on society, and how that translates into commercial value. So when you look at, at, at customers, um, you can see significant relationships between improvements in trust or reputation and customer recommendation. So, uh, for example, on, on a 100-point scale, a 5-point increase in, in reputation translates into a 6% increase in, in recommendation, which for, for many companies is, is a very direct translation into um, core advocacy and, and driving the business. Um, similarly, when you're thinking of, of, of non-customers, you have an extremely strong re- relationship between reputation and consideration. So in this case, a, a five-point jump uh, in reputation equates to about a 5% change into uh, purchase consideration. 
So, so some really big impact points for, for, for banks, not just from, a, from a, an emotive or societal impact perspective, but also in terms of being able to, uh, to maybe steal a quote from, um, from, from before, is, you know, it's, it's doing, uh, doing well and doing good. So it's, it's really mm-hmm. the, the two things connected together. Are banks getting this? Rob, do they get this? Is this something that needs to be pounded into them, or are they reading this research? Are they minding it? Are they paying attention? Are they saying, oh, my goodness, we've been asleep at the wheel. It's time to wake up. We have to do good. Is this something that's penetrated? I, I think now it has begun to penetrate, right? If, if you're okay. looking back uh, about, about a decade, I think you're, um, you're, you're looking at a bank that's very siloed, uh, very individual-line business-focused, and very bottom-line and just purely financial numbers-driven. Um, I think because of a lot of the – primarily, actually, because of a lot of risks that have emerged and because of the, the lack of uh, credible voice that the banks have had, you've had a, a, a lot of reconsiderations at the, at, at the, you know, the highest suites of, of banks in terms of um, what it means to actually have uh, a voice that speaks to the economic impact in a, in, in a broader sense and really uh, broadens, the, broadens the, the reach of a bank. And in many cases, it's, it's really translating that into not just overall how people feel, but how that actually helps um, grow and energize uh, the business. Thank you. Matt White, join us. Thoughts on what Rob just put on the table? Yeah, I think that Rob's absolutely right. And I think that um, something you mentioned earlier is important as well in terms of the value of word of mouth and how mm-hmm. that's changed just over the last five years in, because of how technology has enabled things to develop so quickly, like wildfire through social media, through networks like Twitter and Facebook. And banks just they cannot afford to have their reputations um, trashed on, on, on places like that. It really does affect um, their ability to hold on to customers. And I think that, especially with young people now, we have we have a situation where technology firms have a much better relationship. And as they move more into financial services, they're offering, you know, you have things like Apple moving into payments, you have Google mm-hmm. um, dipping its toes into these areas. And they may not become banks, but they're going to offer some of the services that banks do offer. And and so they have a different sort of relationship with millennials, with younger with younger customers. And so banks do need to think about that and try and work out how they're going to how they're going to tackle it, how they're going to um, boost their trust and boost and and improve their relationships. Thank you, Don Trada. Join us. Thoughts. Yeah, yeah, I I can't agree more uh, with the comments that uh, were being made just now. And what it reminds me, and 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 I had a chance last uh, week to speak to uh, someone called Rachel Botsman. I don't know if you guys have heard of her, but she's one of the leading thinkers and experts on what we, I guess, you've coined, and maybe others have coined, as the collaborative economy, the thing that we're seeing now with Uber and Airbnb and other things. And, and, and I think we've touched on these, but she really makes it clear that there's uh, several major drivers of disruption. And, and I'll just mention them quickly, and, and, and you can't help but think of the banking industry uh, being, uh, you know, really in danger when you think of this complexity. It's really complex to deal with. It. There's lots of processes and procedures. 
broken trust. I think uh, we've all been talking about that. There's broken, if there's broken trust in a, in a particular segment or industry, it, it's vulnerable. There's a lot of redundancy, lots of people involved in you know, intermediating between the customer and the product, a lot of waste in terms of wasted time and effort, and, and of course, uh, limited access where there's people who just can't get access because of the price or availability to the service. So when you look at those, uh, you know, you really start to think about mm, that, that you know, and, and see the success of something like an Uber and Airbnb and other things. Uh, you start to see, that, hey, how could this happen in banking? And it can. And, and, and so one example I, I like to use is, is the Lending Club. I think most of us have heard of the Lending Club or Zopa and others. These are peer-to-peer uh, uh, access to loans. Uh, yeah, I, I think it's uh, um, up to $35,000 for a personal loan or $300,000 for a, uh, a business loan. So far they've made $7 billion, $7 billion in loans. You apply in five minutes and you receive multiple quotes. You have a client advisor assigned to you. You get a, a super great rate of like something five under six percent uh, right mm-hmm. now for the best lenders, for the best uh, uh, borrowers, and ninety five percent of uh, the clients re- uh, will recommend them to a friend or family. And one quick story on yeah. uh, uh, on how banks are maybe starting to react to this is uh, I heard this uh, from, from someone from uh, dealing with the Santander Bank, a very famous bank globally. And uh, a, a small business applied for a loan, and rather than give them the loan, they called them back and made a referral to the lending club. Sounds, uh, it, it, I believe that they have created a referral network between uh, Santander for loans that they don't want to take on their books. They refer to the, to the lending club. So rather than fight this, I think they found a way to collaborate. So I think that these are the kinds of things that I've been seeing. Very interesting. By the way, thank you for the reference to Rachel Botsman. Let me just uh, add a note here, if you don't mind, Don. She's, uh, the last name is spelled B-O-T-S-M-A-N, and she recently gave a TED Talk, but she's the author with Rue Rogers, the co-author of the book, What's Mine is Yours, The Rise of Collaborative Consumption. And she calls herself a sharing innovator, and she's the founder of the Collaborative Lab, an innovation incubator working with startups, big businesses, and local governments on collaborative consumption. Thanks for the reference, Don. I'm going to tweet that after the show. Very interesting. Uh, let's circle back to Rob Yekulek. Rob, any comments on what Matt and Don just shared with us? Uh, yeah, I mean, this is, uh, absolutely. I think there's uh, some, some very valuable uh, commentary. I think uh, just building off what, what, what Don said, I mean, the value chain is um, going to increasingly shift and change for, 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 for banking. Right, especially when you look at the the perspectives of, of of millennials and how they think of their how they think of their banks, right? I mean, this is uh, going back to uh, a study that that Viacom did on millennials. You know, one of the things that stood out to me was over seventy percent would rather go to the dentist than listen to what banks are saying. Ooh. Right. So the, the, the <laughs> oh, that hoits. That really hoits. <clears throat> yeah. So that, the the relevant is it that low. Is, I'm sorry. Is it that low? I thought it would be higher. <laughs> <laughs> Go ahead, Rob. Exactly right, and 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 many and many of them, just to to the point that Don was making as well, they really turn to um, to IT companies, technology companies like Google, like Amazon, like Apple, like PayPal, like Square. Right there, there's a whole bunch of new. Um, 
companies that are emerging, and in particular, just kind of uh, building off Don's point again of the collaborative economy, the the sharing economy. A lot of people use different terms of it. You have this real, this significant rise of of, of powerful intermediaries, right? So when when you think of the the lending club, um, even when you think of uh, something like Kickstarter. Right, where, where, where people are, are putting money, investing money in, in very specific things, not just because of the financial return, but because of uh, something that they're really passionate about, something that, that really excites them, which is, which is a very different um, set of rationale or, or reasons as to, as to you know, how people would get funding and, and why people would, uh, would fund certain organizations. But um, again, all of that said, I, I, the the opportunity for for banks is is still significant. I think there have been some great points about you know the the personal relationships that that banks have been able to to build in 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 many cases, and it's it's really about figuring the the right figuring out the right way to to, to leverage technology in a, in a much more personal and and, and meaningful way. Um, to make sure that there aren't intermediaries that emerge that, that create major issues in their value chain. Because what you could end up with is, is banks just being commodities, where intermediaries create all the value and, and banks just do, just do the transaction. Right? So uh, a, a, huge, a huge opportunity in front of, of banks, but, but also a significant challenge. Thank you. Hey, I heard somebody. This Go. is Don. Uh, I, I mm-hmm. don't know if it's okay to make a comment. This is Don. Yes, uh, please. A really interesting point uh, was just made, and I wanted to tell a little story about it. You know, part of my role is to go around the world talk, talking to uh, the C-suite at banks, insurance companies, capital markets companies, and a, a very famous large uh, uh, European bank uh, in Spain. Uh, we were talking to the CEO, and he was saying, I know that in five years uh, I want to st- be in banking still, but I don't know if I still want to be a bank. And, uh, and, and that's very, because of, uh, what was just pointed out is that, you know, if you take the customer away on the, on the front end and disintermediate them and own the relationship to the customer, and, uh, you know, what, and, and then perhaps what you're left with in the middle is the commoditized, uh, you know, uh, regulated, all of those things that you don't want. Uh, that you know uh, really does not add a lot of value. So, 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 so I, I have to say that some of the largest banks in the world are, are still thinking that way. And one last comment: I, I mentioned Zopa, uh, this peer-to-peer lending. I, I just realized that the last four years they've won the most trusted. We've been talking about trust this morning. Mm-hmm. The most trusted loan provider award from MoneyWise magazine in the UK. Uh, so uh, that, that says something. It certainly does. Thank you, Don. Glad you chimed in, and feel free to do that anytime. I'm going to go to a somewhat new topic here. We've been talking about trust in banking, using innovation, doing good for culture, for society, for the world in general, that banks need to step up and be responsible in that regard, and that a cross-section of consumers and future consumers of banking and financial services are expecting this today. Let's talk about the people who are not part of that chain of banking people, the unbanked. I'm looking at Matt White. White's notes from before the show, and here's an interesting prediction you sent me, Matt, from Bill Gates. You say Bill Gates predicts that by the year 2030, which, if you do the math, is only 15 years away, gulp, 2 billion unbanked people in developing markets will be using mobile money. Banks need to ensure they are part of this revolution, and I would add evolution. But in in terms of trust, if you have people who are unbanked or underserved and they want to be banking customers, how do you start the ball rolling and open the door to that relationship with trust from the get-go? Is that going to be difficult for a bank serving the unbanked? Matt, you want to start this for us, please? 
Sure, yeah. Um, it, I think it will be difficult because, uh, as you say, if you don't have that relationship to begin with, um, then you don't have the, the inbuilt advantage that, that banks have in, in developed countries. Um, so the obvious example of, of a company really bringing banking services to um, unbanked people in the developing world is M-Pesa in Kenya, which is far more popular than any bank there. And it's, it's, it's run by a, a mobile telephone company. And they managed to get the jump on, on the banks. They saw an opportunity and a way to help people to manage their money, to send money to each other. And they took advantage of it. And they, they've, they, they, you know, they've, they've done something that banks haven't been able to do. So I think that the way for, way for financial services firms to make sure that they are part of this is to work with others. They can't start from the beginning and just say, we will come in and we will compete with mobile telephone companies or technology firms. Um, and and we, will, we will win that battle. Rather, they need to work with others so that particularly because they need to deliver services through things like mobile phones. You can't just go out and build a branch network of thousands of buildings in, 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 in uh, East Africa. It just, it, it's not financially viable. So it's about getting the regulatory systems in place, being out, making sure that you, you know where you stand and working with other companies and saying that we can bring something to the party. We can help the telcos deliver their services um, so it'll be difficult but banks do need to make sure that they're part of this they can't just ignore it and say well you know we'll stick with our our safe mm. little um, customer base in Europe and the States it's not going to work thank you Matt Don Trotta what do you see over in these developing countries where people may or may not be clamoring for banking services is it the job of banks to win them over to woo them to make them clamor and then say trust us with your money what do you see well, we see that this whole area, sometimes called financial inclusion or banking the unbanked, is a tremendous growth opportunity uh, to really make a difference in society. And, you know, it's, it's important to recognize there are many great examples of how banks are doing some amazing things with technology to help make people's lives better. We, we don't focus on that quite enough. And so uh, they're making tremendous progress in, in, in this area. Uh, a couple of examples um, mm-hmm. in uh South Africa, a bank uh, I've worked with uh, pretty closely, the Standard Bank of South Africa, uh, has, and of course South Africa is, is uh, and it still has a lot of people living in the rural areas that don't have access to the financial system. And what they've done is they've created a mobile platform that allows, uh, and, and a bunch of, I guess what uh, we call agents, so they're small little shops that already exist, you know, whether they're newspaper stands or little uh, grocery stores that become agents of the, of the bank. And they're able to open up a new account. And there's only a couple of accounts. It's a savings account, by the way. In that country, it's very important to have, culturally, to have a, what they call a funeral account. It's, it's a great shame mm-hmm. if you were to die and, uh, and, and not leave money for people to pay your funeral. So it's very important culturally for people to have money for that. And of course, uh, some some access to to spending, you know, with a, a debit card, so that they're able to to live their lives. I think they open up something like ten thousand accounts a week 
with, with without anybody ever coming to a branch. So it's just to, and it's it's really made a difference. Uh, second one I would just mention quickly is actually in in Mexico and in Central America, a bank called Comportamos Bank, and in Spanish Comportamos means the sharing bank. It, and and again. Um, uh, it, it, it's really interesting business model in that they make primarily microfinance loans, small loans, but they don't make them to individuals. They make them to a group of 12, usually women, by the way. I'd say something like 80% mm-hmm. of their 2 million customers are women. And this group uh, takes the money and creates small businesses, whether they make uh, artifacts that they can sell in shops and in the sides of the road, uh, or, or you know, very very micro businesses, but it makes a tremendous difference to their families. It starts them up the ladder to become part of the financial system and, and, and changes changes their lives altogether. And just one one example uh, of uh, how powerful that is for the bank itself. Uh, uh, I think the, the loan loss rates for Compertamos are under one percent. Any bank in the world mm. would die to have such loan loans where people don't pay you back. And, and, the, and the dynamic is that if one of the 12 people who get the loan don't pay back their share, the other ones uh, are going to pay it up for them. So you have a lot of peer pressure uh, to always pay the loan. So, so it's, it's just a great example, I and mean, there's lots of them around the world. Thank you, Don. Uh, let's go to Rob Yekulek. Any thoughts on what Don just added? Great example here about unbanked. What's happening? Yeah, I, I, I think the the area of unbanked is a is, is a really important focus. Um, I, I'm going to take a, a little bit of a, a slightly different angle on it. Um, mm-hmm. One of the big things that that banks can do is beyond just offering products and services to uh, to individuals who may currently be unbanked, is the the types of investments and programs they're building to address why people are unbanked and the you know basically help build the economic infrastructure that enables. Um, People to easily to, to more easily get into the the, the banking sector. Um, so one of the one of the banks that uh, that I'll highlight that's been doing um, has a variety of different initiatives uh, around this this area at large. I'll say um, is BBVA, which I, I know has already come up. Um, in Spain, there's a, a lot of the banks actually um, surprisingly work together on a, on a lot of social initiatives. Um, and in general, I think in, in many cases might be in, in front of the spectrum in terms of uh, looking at, at, at social impact. Um, but from a, from a direct kind of um, impact on the, on the economy, you know, one of the things that BBVA, for example, invested in was directly investment, uh, employment programs because as a, as a reaction to the, the major uh, economic downturn, which, which hit Spain harder than, than many markets, um, one of the things that they started was a program that, you know, it, um, I'm, I'm not going to do the Spanish justice, but it really translates into uh, I am employment, right, which is specifically around creating jobs for small businesses and getting a lot of the people that were particularly hard, uh, hard hit by the economy back to work. Right and and through small businesses, so getting individuals back to work, so they have the opportunity to to have the the financial wherewithal to to, to be in the banking sector, um, but really kind of dri- driving through the into the overall economy and and kickstarting the the broader economy. Um, 
one of the the points that was made earlier on um, by Matt was just about the the importance of, of of employees, and I think as you're as you're making this shift in how banks think about the world, who they think of as their key customers, how they think about societal impact, um, there's no more important stakeholder than than employees. Um, one of the additional programs that that I, I wanted to to kind of uh, pull forward because again I think BV has a good example of something they they mm-hmm. call the the Momentum Project. Mm-hmm. Um, which is really done in in partnership with a with a variety of business schools across Spain, Mexico, and and, and Peru, um, where they're really getting into social enterprises. Many of the organizations that are helping address the most difficult social issues, um, getting into training, mentoring, and financing, um, and they're and they're actually getting their managers to to be involved in those programs, getting them um, kind of elbow deep into the types of social problems that, uh, that, that are facing a lot of these markets, and in many cases, really unbanked um, constituencies. Um, and so both helping improve the, the economic situation, but also getting the employees much closer to the problems, the difficulties, and the very specific challenges that, uh, that people might be facing. Thank you very much. I want to turn to some notes from Don Trotta. We're nearing the end of the show. We've got 13 minutes left. But, Don, I have something interesting here in your copious notes you sent me, and thank you so much. I'd like you to talk about You say nowhere is the balance of trustworthy and effective more important in banking we're talking about than when dealing with customer data. And then you add, this is the key, it is possible to respect your customer's data while also offering to use it to offer better mass personalized service to create mass wealth management. This sounds like the word scaling is in there somewhere. Don, can you uh, take this for me, please? Yeah, that's uh, uh, another big uh, area that we're seeing, you know, that's being spurred by, uh, let's call it the collaborative uh, nature of the social media that we've talked about. And and what I would call it is personal financial management for the mass market. You know, one of the things that I think we would all agree, and it's, it's been written about a lot and talked about a lot, is that, uh, and, and even my own children, I could feel it, they grow up and they go to some schools and good schools, but they don't learn anything about how to manage your personal financial life and be successful. And so it, it can be quite dramatic in terms of people not even being financially literate to, uh, you know, kind of really helping you, uh, you know, kind of be successful. And in your financial life, so, so this is something that, of course, uh, uh, wealth management—you know, the the top, you know, uh, pers- high percentage of of of, uh, of customers who uh, you know have them you know, five million or ten million in investable assets—they don't have this problem. They've always had you know, personal uh, attention, and 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 and, but the vast majority of folks underneath that really uh, don't get that kind of uh, advice. And counseling and understanding of how to be successful. So that, so, so the technology that's available now today is really making that much more economically feasible than before. And so, um, you know, you, you, you see uh, companies like Mint. They came back on the scene, uh, I guess, around 2007. And 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 it's because few, if any, banks have focused on helping mass market customers manage their money. And so. Um, uh, so this is an area that we see a lot of things happening uh, as well, and and you know you, you can do your budgeting, you can save for your goals, you can understand where you stand in relation to people who have your level of income, your level of debt, your level 
uh, of uh, you know uh, kind of spending, and and create uh, an opportunity for people to 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 not just bank with you, but but to become successful in their financial lives, and that's a big difference. And one I think, well, I would call it the next level of being customer centric. I know we hear that term a lot in banking. I've been talking mm-hmm. about it for 20 years. But, but what that usually means is the bank sells you more products. Instead of translating that to mean we make you successful in your financial life and help be your, your ally and your advocate uh, in, in, in your financial life. So I think that's the big difference. Oh, that would be so nice if we could think of our banks as our advocate and our financial success. Thank you, Don. Good thoughts. Rob Yekulek, thoughts on what Don just added, and then I'm going to ask Matt to chime in as well. Rob? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think there's there's a whole new um, emerging um, suite of financial services that 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 are that are trying to, to to kind of work their way into exactly that that opportunity that I think Don so so nicely laid out. I mean, when you think of um, in general there there being a, a high level of um, fi- financial illiteracy. Um, and then, but then you start looking at, at companies that are, that are at least make, taking a first stab at, at simplifying not just managing your day-to-day finances, but um, which is of, of in particular importance in the U.S., it's also being able to manage your, your assets looking forward. So when you think of companies like uh, Betterment or, or Wealthfront um, or some of the traditionals like Vanguard or, or Schwab trying to come into the space of more of kind of being the, the auto advisor where, where, where you're, where you're Kind of taking um, a lot of cues from technology, and it's just uh, it's simple questions, it's uh, it's dials and knobs that really helps set a, a a low cost portfolio that that's much more accessible to uh, to people who previously would have thought that um, any sort of wealth management was was um, far above them, and obviously cause that being a, a significant cause of of you know frustration um, and uh, and and anxiety, especially if you're raising a family. Thank you very much. Matt White, talk to me. Thoughts? Yeah, I mean, I, I absolutely agree. I think that it's it's quite strange, really, in this age of we have so much data available to us now that there, there is such a, a level of financial literacy, really. And banks banks are the best-placed organizations to really help with that and, and to do, going back to the general theme of this conversation, to do some real societal good um, by helping people better manage, manage their finances. Obviously, um, kind of implicit in your initial question to Don was the issue of trust in how banks use the data they have. They have information which nobody else has on their customers, and they need Mm -hmm. to be careful about how they use that. We've seen, obviously, lots of scandals um, relating to data with the Edward Snowden NSA stuff, and, you know, people are wary about all this information that is out there, and banks... um, they can really put it to good use, but they need to be very clear in how in communicating with their customers, with letting them know exactly how they're using their data and, and in some cases getting opt-in, um, saying, you know, asking, do you mind if we use this information to do this for you? Um, but I think that in general, most people are, are, are very willing to make that trade-off as long as, they, as long as they trust the banks in the first place to, 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 to do the right thing. Interesting comments, Matt. I'm going to ask Don to chime in. And my thoughts here, Don, on this are that uh, our financial information is some of, to me and the people I know, it's it's intimate, it's personal, it's private. You either don't want other people to know how much you're earning 
or what kind of investments you're in. Oh, sure, people brag about their stock investments and their poor. Oh, yeah, I sold 20 shares of this and I bought 5,000 shares of that. Did you see GE go up today? I'm in on it. Blah, blah, blah. But when it comes to sharing the details of our financial personal information, I think we're not just shy. We're very protective because we expect people to judge us. Don, any thoughts on that? Yeah, yeah, you're absolutely right. You know, when you think about um, the most important things to people in general, uh, you know, first is their their health, right, their physical health, yep. their medical health. The second is their financial health, uh, and and possibly education might be third. And uh, but 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 financial health and your financial information is incredibly important to you. And and, and as was just mentioned, there's no shortage of stories about breaches uh, with yes. financial information and identity theft and all of the things that can happen. So one of the things I think that banks are catching up with uh, but need to catch up quickly is around this whole cybersecurity, uh, financial crime prevention. Uh, and it, it, and it, I can tell you that they're spending millions, if not you know, hundreds of millions, uh, around the world to combat this. Uh, and, and, uh, you know, it, it, it's you know, anti-money laundering. It's, you know, know your customer. Is this really the customer that I'm sharing the information with it, uh, that mm-hmm. it's supposed to be? It's, it's all of these, uh, you know, kind of, uh, actually regulations. And, and if we are going to build back trust, I, I think it, this is fundamental. Uh, people don't mind sharing their information if they have a choice about what they're sharing, if they have a, an understanding of the transparency of what's taking place with that. I think that's actually moved in a direction with social networking, what people put on their Facebook pages. It's quite amazing to someone from my generation. Uh, but, 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 so, so I think the, the, the society as a whole has moved to be more lenient or more open with that. However, it would be a mistake to think that banks don't have the responsibility to protect that financial information and to um, be the ones who are going to be good custodians. And again, it comes back to being the, the effective bank and one that knows what they're doing. Uh, so, so, yeah, the, the, it, it's, it's been a big topic, and it's one that I think banks are trying to respond to, but I don't think they're there yet. Thank you, Don. You know what? We're already into our predictions round, even though I haven't announced it yet. I'm going to circle back to Rob Yekulek from Reputation Institute. Rob, we're really tight on time. Why don't you give me 30 seconds of predictions? If you could fast forward this conversation and we could meet again in 2020 or whatever time you see in the crystal ball, what would you say that's different? 30 seconds, Rob Yekulek, predictions, go. Great. Um, I'm not that, that much of a futurist, so I'm going to, I'm, I'm going to, be, I'm going to start looking maybe five to ten years uh, or actually, well, five five years out. So, um, if we're if we're thinking of banks, and really, if you're thinking of the the the, the good bank, um, there's so much opportunity. So, if you look at the investments that that are new and different and unique that are starting to to, to make an impact, you know, for example, if you look at what uh, what J.P. Morgan Chase is doing in terms of its investment in Detroit, which is multi-pronged, has a very direct economic impact. Um, and has a variety of both kind of business and individual impact points. Um, you, you can see the, the, the type of impact that, that banks can have and really change how people see the, the industry and fundamentally showcase the, the, the good and value that, that they provide. Thank you very much. Brief and to the point, appreciated. Matt White for Nextra and give you exactly 30 seconds. Take it and go. <laughs> 
Okay, mm. I I think that banks will um, that they will change a lot in the next twenty years. I think that mm. they're going to become leaner, they're going to become smaller, and they're going to become more collaborative. Banks are traditionally they like to um, you know they're secretive, BMOs who you know that they 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 take down everything in their way. But that's going to have to change. You have to work with tech companies, and they're going to have to work with each other to deliver a, a new kind of service and to, to kind of be the good bank that we've been talking about. Thank you, Don Trada. I saved thirty seconds for you, so go ahead. Predictions: How far in the future can you see, Don? Uh, I'll say ten years from now, okay. banks will be working with these in this collaborative economy, and more people will be getting their banking services or financial services, insurance. Uh, retirement, all of those things, uh, from non-banks, as we think of them today, from new bank and new entrants, rather than from the traditional bank. So there'll be a shift from the traditional banking model to this brand new model. Thank you. I will just share that one of my favorite places to go for banking is my broker who has a wonderful little storefront, brick and mortar, in a shopping center about eight blocks from where I live. They're open Saturdays. They offer me coffee when I come in. They'll fill out the deposit slip for me. They're always pleasant. I left my checkbook there once. They figured out where I was. They found my cell phone. They said, please come back and get your checkbook. Amazing service. And I just like them because they're nice and I do trust them. So maybe that's what it comes down to in terms of relationships and trust. But I rest my case. Thank Thank you so much, Rob Yekulek from Reputation Institute. I hope I kept your reputation and your name pronunciation intact. I sure tried. Matt White, Finextra, thank you so much for sharing with us today. And Don Trotty, it's always a pleasure to have you on the show. Shout out to Matt Small at SAP and Birgit Dolny, who sponsored this show. And Brittany Schaefer, thanks for, from Fleischman, thanks for working on the panel and for helping us with our Twitter feed at hashtag SAP Radio. Brad and the Business Channel team. And I'm a futurist. I think... Um, Rob, you said you weren't. I'm a futurist. I can tell you that tomorrow's the future because I'll be back at 11 a.m. Eastern right here on the Business Channel with Coffee Break with Game Changers, our fourth show with Baylor University MBA students and professors. Going to be a good one. I'm Bonnie D. Graham. Here's my call to action. Fasten your seatbelt. What are you waiting for? Go out and be a game changer today. Talk to you tomorrow on Coffee Break. Bye-bye. Thanks again for tuning in to Industry Cloud Trends with Game Changers, presented by SAP. The best-run business is run SAP. To keep the conversation going, tweet your questions and comments to Twitter, hashtag SAPRADIO. Please join host Bonnie D. Graham again Tuesdays at 9 a.m. Pacific Time, 12 p.m. Eastern Time on the Business Channel. We wish you a positively game-changing week.